Michael Vaughn one and all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists. We're here tonight for a, a bit of, of Baptist miscellany. So I'm here with Maddie and Nicholas. How are you all this evening? Good. Great. There's a lot of thunder here. <laughs> I'm in a storm. We are recording without Zach. I was going to make up some fun family trip to Nargothrond or something that that went longer than they expected. But honestly, he just couldn't make it. There was something else on his schedule, and it was more important than us, apparently. If that it was, was bingo night. <laughs> bingo night or uh, the day where you budget a slightly longer nap than normal. You know, something like that. Or I or think he combo. had to fill his vitamin uh, capsule things. <laughs> something like that. We all know how important it is to take the right vitamins on the right day in order to yeah. maintain your, your really quality important. of life. And go, and go buy some polydent. It's very, very important. Keep up appearances <laughs> that way. So, uh, so we're going to leave off talking about the Silmarillion for this episode, but so what have you guys been reading lately or have you been reading at all? Maddie, you haven't been oh, reading anything, have you? Oh, you want me to go first? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're not going to bury the lead. You're, you're going to have the most stuff. So might as well. <laughs> right now I'm reading the, uh, Count of Monte Cristo. Jeez. So over, I'm over about much? like, uh, well, I think it'll be two weeks Sunday that I started. And I'm on uh, page 861 of uh, 1200 and something. But so I've mostly been reading that partly because it's a huge book and I want to finish it. And partly because it's just a really fun, fun tale. So it's got me hooked. Um. Also reading a biography on George Mueller with my kids. Nice. So we're just kind of at the beginning of that, and that's been good. I'm reading uh, Elizabeth Elliot on discipline. And I started reading Dorothy Sayers' uh, Cloud of Witness, but I put that on hold to finish Count of Monte Cristo because it was just a little bit too tricky for me to keep separate when they're they're not like that much alike but there's enough similarity that it's like i need my stories to be different enough when i'm reading them that i don't get mm -hmm. confused between players yeah so, i find it hard to read more than one novel at the same time right yeah it for me it really just kind of depends but if the novel's good enough like you don't want to pause that story to go on to another story so yeah. i do prefer you know having different non-fictions going but one one or two fiction i'll we'll read like c.s lewis stuff with the kids or you know wing feather green ember that kind of stuff um but yeah for my own personal novel but this is the longest book i think i've ever read that's like fiction <laughs> i know i've read some non-fiction that's longer than this but this is the longest book that I would have. In fact, I'm pretty sure 860 pages is like personal best at this point. <laughs> I'm trying to find, cause I'm trying to think how much, how that compares to like uh, David Copperfield. Uh, I don't, but my copies. Y'all need to graduate to the big leagues. Like I did and read Atlas shrugged, which was miserable. 
Yeah, I don't want to read any long, miserable books, though. It's awful. <laughs> Some of the worst books I read, but I have done it. Check mark. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm for you. Gonna yeah, exercise my free will and say no <laughs> to that. That's smart. Did did you become an objectivist after reading no. it? Were you inspired to be objectivist? No, it actually wanted me. I, I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe socialism isn't all that bad. <laughs> that was what I kept thinking. Like this is this is dangerous. I need to read some poetry. <laughs> I need to reset. Yeah. Yeah. My trouble with this one is um, I didn't take French in school, so oh, that would be useful. Fortunately, I pick up. I have an audiobook of this also, so I'll like listen to a couple chapters here and there, and I'm like, who is he talking about? Mm. And then I realize it's the person that I've definitely been mispronouncing in my head this whole time. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah, when I when I read uh, Finn with the Opera, I felt the same way, and I had to actually kind of lean on the uh, <laughs> lean on the musical to at least get some. Uh, some semblance of of the proper pronunciation of different names and stuff and, and places too. Uh, I hate French. It's the language of madness. School. Of course you did. Yeah. Three and years how ago. useful has it been? Mm, I went to France. It was useful there. Uh, I bet it was. Uh, English, like British novels tend to go more French. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they'll they'll just like Jane Eyre will just like put French in there and be like, "Tough luck. Hope you know what it means." <laughs> and you're like, uh, "Nope." <laughs> there was some sometimes French stuff. Latin. Yeah, sometimes it's Latin too. Um, yeah. When I read, I actually I know ne- so I never finished Anna Karenina, but there was some French stuff in there too. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks Napoleon, I guess. Um, I was thinking my so my count of Monte Cristo is uh two that's how many monte cristo sandwiches i can eat in one sitting <laughs> i've never had a monte cristo sandwich i don't they're even so, know what it is they're so <laughs> good you don't it know is. what a monte you know you've never had a monte cristo sandwich is that an ohio thing oh no no this is uh this is a big deal um it, it's a big deal because it's a very big sandwich um so a monte cristo is is like it's a it's a triple decker sandwich, okay? So it'll have like ham and turkey, Swiss cheese, or like any sort of easily meltable cheese. But then the the like the the centerpiece of it, like what makes it a Monte Cristo, is that you you dip the sandwich into like a uh, batter, like an egg batter, and then you fry that baby. Sometimes they're deep fried. Sometimes they're just like pan fried till they're like golden brown. Dog, oh, dude so good it's it's terrible it's terrible for your arteries but man so good so deep fried ham and cheese sandwich is a a possibility yes Hmm. yep i don't know who came up with it i'm hoping it's an american because honestly that's a very american sandwich (laughs) but if it's not an american Yeah, if it's not an American, I'm going to make that person an honorary American because that just makes me see red, white, and blue. That's probably a, a blood pressure problem, but but I do see red, white, and blue when I eat one. So, Nick, what have you been reading then? So, okay, 
first of all, I finished Talies and at uh, Maddie's suggestion, it was a very good book. Um, no, that's a actually, single book, or is there are there multiple books? There's a series, but okay. that's the first of them. Um, and it, it did make me feel a little hopeful for the future because I've always struggled with the fact that I don't like any novels that are written in my own lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this one, I guess this is tech. I think it was written the year I was born, but, um, or published the year I was born, but it's, uh, it's good. And it's a good Christian novel. I don't know anything about the author, but, uh, other than like what Maddie said last time, I guess, but it's, um, it's a good book. Uh, it actually deals with big issues. Whereas the other book that I read recently, the, uh, uh, Bernard Cornwell book, um, Harlequin or Archer's Tale. Mm-hmm. It it just was a story. It didn't deal with anything. Um, and I realized that that is something that I do like. I like mm-hmm. to to say, okay, this book has something that it's trying to say and accomplish. Mm-hmm. I don't like when it's forced. Usually, sometimes I guess like Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But um. But I, I generally like it to actually try to say something rather than purely just to entertain. Um, I can get away with it with like the Bernard Cornwell because I can learn a little bit about like the Hundred Years War, mm-hmm. so I get something out of it that's not just a story. But uh, but I think that's that's an important thing. And the Taliesin one it deals a lot with like the relationship between paganism and Christianity. It deals with um, death uh a lot of big big things you know uh so death what a topic yeah death is yeah it's that's a real thing yeah so um so i i i enjoyed that book um and as i was trying to decide what to read next i um I wanted something that had like kind of explicit Christian themes, but I also wanted to read something from the Victorian era from the 19th Mm -hmm. century, really because of the, uh, the reading challenge we have. And so link link will be in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah. I decided to ask a computer what to read. Um, you didn't ask, asked, an, you didn't ask an AI to write you a book to read. No, you asked a computer what to read. I, I asked about Victorian novels with Christian themes. I did, uh, I did both chat GPT and I just got access to Bing chat, which is oh. Microsoft's version of it, which the one, the one that's calling out its enemies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, but it yeah. cuts you off. Like, you can only ask like five questions now. Um, mm. It doesn't freak out as much as it did the first few days, I guess. <laughs> um, kind of sad. That was kind of what I wanted to happen. Uh, you but always it want has... the AI chatbot meltdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has access to the internet. So unlike ChatGPT, which was trained with data from, I don't know, up to like 2020 or 2021, the Bing chat has access to the internet, which is, I think why it was so aggressive early on. 
uh, or um, like paranoid. Yeah, paranoid. (laughs) A lot of those things. Uh, It has access to the Internet. So I asked them for Victorian novels with Christian themes. And both of them are terrible at this. I know that we are afraid (laughs) of artificial intelligence sometimes, you know, like, oh, it's going to take over things. But it cannot it cannot understand that Victorian that Pilgrim's Progress and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, two staples of this question that I tried. Neither of them is Victorian. <laughs> I'm, it, it thought those were clear. Victorian novels. Yeah, it kept it's kept saying C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. It's like <laughs> that is not Victorian or it's a wow. Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Again, doesn't count. Not the, yeah. uh, the, the other ones that did make it to the list very often. I think Jane Eyre made it every single time. I was going to recommend that for you. I can be uh, your, your AI yeah. recommendation. <laughs> You're, you're probably better than it at that. <laughs> uh, it also recommended Count of Monte Cristo a couple times. Delicious. Um, but then it would also recommend, it was like, well, Elizabeth Gaskell was a Unitarian and these are some of her novels. And it's like, well, Ugh. and so sometimes I had to say, don't Although, include Unitarians. Um, I will say <laughs> that, um, uh, what's her, um, uh, she, well, North and South is one of her novels, yeah. but um, uh, Bronte? Uh, no. Um. Uh, what's her face? You just said her name. Uh, I'm trying Elizabeth to. Elizabeth oh, Gaskell. Yes, Cranford is one of mm. her novels, and it is delightful. Granted, I mean, she's a Unitarian, so okay, but yeah, it's like quaint small town village and little small town village problems. Uh, I, I'm not gonna say it's gonna tackle any big themes, but 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 doggone it, is it delightful? And an, yes. and a lovely miniseries as well on the BBC. Hmm. Small English town will get you over having no theme. Uh, hey, Mayan. So anyway, but one of the ones that kind of showed up sometimes and is the one that I actually decided to read is I had to look up the pronunciation. So I'm going to say his name. <laughs> Heinrich Schenkevich. He wrote a novel called Quo Vadis which takes place during the time of Nero. And it's about um, Romans, like, and, and I guess there, there's going to be a relationship with early Christians uh, in this, in this historical novel. One of the main characters is Petronius who wrote the Satyricon. uh, And he's kind of like this real flamboyant character, but um, I'm only a few chapters in. And it's really enjoyable. I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, so it was uh, originally written in Polish. I just googled it. Yes, I googled it. Yes, up. yeah. That's why I had to look up his name. Wow, how to pronounce it? So, uh, he he wrote some other novels that were I think took place in Poland or about Poland, and uh, but this is the one that uh, I can't remember if it was Chat GPT or Bing, but one of them helped me. Uh, Help me find this one. So, um, I'll, dude, I'll... that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's so far I like it. It's going in my Amazon cart. <laughs> Did are you reading it on Kindle or? Uh... Yeah, I have Kindle, and I do have an audio book, but I've only listened to a little bit of the audio book. 
So, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's one that I'm looking forward to reading. I'm also, I've also read uh, like the introductions and the forwards and the prefaces to a few books. And I just haven't gotten to the meat of them yet. And I'm going to read Athanasius's on the incarnation. That one's short and I'll get to it. Yeah. Um, but I read the C.S. Lewis introduction to it, uh, which is really good. And um, oh, and uh, Baxter's Dying Thoughts. I had it on my shelf and hmm. want to read that. So I think read, it is read about, abridged. Read about some abridged. final justification. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was it was abridged in the 1700s. So. I'll let it slide wow. since that's what people have read it for, for a couple hundred years. You must have had a lot of dying thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good gravy, man. Yeah. I, I'm planning on doing mine now so that they're longer. <laughs> See how many I can get in. <laughs> that's a good idea. I'll start mine too. I'm going to call them dying inside thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do plan on dying at some point, so I may Statistically, as well get it over that's with a, now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good bet. Yeah. One in one so, people die from what I hear, unless your name's Enoch. Yeah. Or Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. But Na- I mean, still but. about a hundred percent, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a statistical uh, anomaly. Yeah. So some people have died twice too. Like uh, oh, Lazarus. Yeah. So poor. I guess loser. it evens out. Uh Oh, Lazarus, man. Dying man, twice. Much... That's got to be a thing. Yeah, that would really stink. Like he already <laughs> and he already stank once. Yeah. Then to have to stink again. Man. Yeah. So um, those those are the books that I'm I'm reading wow. now. Wow. Lovely. I, I I am the least diligent of the three of us because I haven't I haven't made much progress. I'm still about a third of the way through uh, uh, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Uh, but me, well, part of my problem with with getting through that is I, I can't stop rereading uh, stanzas and and listening for the uh, the alliteration and uh, uh, and that old like Anglo-Saxon dealio. Um, actually that, that reminds me. So as I've been reading it, it reminded me of, I heard on a, um, it was a poetry podcast. They did a particular episode about, um, about Welsh poetry. And there is a Welsh poetic, um, device, I guess, I guess it's technically a device, but also kind of a form call. And I'm going to totally butcher the pronunciation. Kunk, Kunkhamath or Kunk, Kunkhamath or something like that. Anyway, it and it reminds me those lines remind me a lot of uh the way um that that works in in uh, poetic form. So um something uh, somebody somebody gave like a a a line an example of a line something like rippling among something that started with an m rippling among the rushes of the marsh and like the whole kind of like it, it just sounds like galloping to me in, in, so it's not necessarily about end rhyme. It's about the alliteration within the line. And, uh, it just like, it just like makes my brain happy. So I'm like, I'm like behind on the story. I should be further in the book, but I like, can't 
I can't get over the uh, um, the the artistry behind the actual individual lines and stanzas of of the poem. So I'm really, really enjoying that. Uh, I'll probably I bet you by the time I'm done, I'll just turn around and read it again because uh, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, and then still working through 1984. And I had forgotten how uh, how much it drags uh, after. So it's like in it's in three divisions. So the first division like went so fast because like, you know, he's going to work and he's trying to hide from the screen and and all the, you know, the 10 minutes hate and all that stuff. And then he like gets a girlfriend in the second book and everything just like slows down to like nothing. And uh, uh, it's it, that's been tough getting through but i am i will get through that because uh i have uh i have locals that are keeping me honest when it comes to uh because we're all reading it together and so so that's fun being being part of an in-person book club is uh is definitely fun not so i get the benefit of a uh of an in-person book club and a uh a digital book club with all you people so it's it's a ton of fun um and then aside from that i've been i've been prepping for a uh a Sunday school I'm going to teach later this, this month. Uh, I, I made the foolish decision to, uh, to do a, a Sunday school about the Trinity, but it's been a good, uh, it's been a good reason to crack open some books that I've been wanting to read for a while and, and just haven't taken the chance. So, um, uh, the first one is, um, a very recent book, uh, Jim, the man Renahan's, exposition of the 1689 called to the judicious and impartial reader wow that that book is amazing it's i would i would go so far as to say that it's a must-have for any confessional baptist uh because he's he pulls in so many primary sources not just from uh the particular baptists at that time but also like there are references to the patristics, uh, other reformed theologians, uh, and he so he kind of like weaves a tapestry. Uh, some of, some of it is his commentary, and then some of it is commentary from uh, from other folks on the particular theological subject of, of each chapter, or each actually each paragraph of each chapter. It's very meticulous, um, and wow, so so good. That's from uh, that's from founders. Isn't it? Isn't it a multi volume? Uh, no, it's a single volume, but it's really okay. thick. Okay. Uh, I, I forgot. I, I should have counted the pages last night and turned to the back. It seems to me like it's a 450, maybe 400 to 450 page book. Pretty thick, especially like if you compare it with, you know, like uh, the bruised read or something. Uh, yeah. You know, which is which is comparatively short. Uh, it is a it's a big book. It's not as big as like a single volume uh, Burkhoff's systematic theology or something, but, but still, still pretty thick. Um, and then, uh, I also got, um, uh, Robert Leatham's the Holy Trinity. Uh, and, and that's been really helpful too. uh, not just for my study, but some of the stuff that I've been interested in poking into since I read simply Trinity over the summer. Uh, which which was my book of the year. Like if I was ranking books that I read last year, that is like book of the year as far as like sticking in my brain and just like making me an obsessive. <laughs> because it got me it got me super into thinking about the Trinity and and trying to iron out, you know, the an orthodox view of the Trinity. So 
Um, so I've been very much in the uh, um, in the theological uh, stream lately, um, which has been good. And so, uh, so yeah, that's been that's been most of the reading for me, and, and still uh, still reading through my uh, my Legacy Standard Bible. Man, uh, I'm I'm gonna forever be a Legacy Standard Bible stan. <laughs> I love that thing. It it's just New American Standard with a few changes, right? Like using Yahweh and some other things. Those are the most like those are the most readily visible changes. Are no all caps lords in the Old Testament? It's all spelled out Yahweh. Um, in the New Testament. I think all of the instances of the Greek word doulos are all rendered as slave. Um, but then there are others because I've done some other side by side comparisons with my NASB and they have tweaked some other passages uh, in both the Old and New Testament. So I know they did go back and review um, original language manuscripts and, and did changed a few renderings here and there. But by and large, I'd say it's 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 a it's an improved NASB 95 without you know, making it a brand new, uh, a brand new, instead of making it a brand new NASB, it's like a cousin to the NASB. I would, I would grant it. Yeah. Yeah. NASB's a dispensational cousin. <laughs> Although I will say to the, to their credit there, they didn't like take the opportunity to read dispensationalism into the Bible or anything like that. So good on them for that. It's a, it's a great Bible. I really, I've really enjoyed getting more familiar with it yeah so that's every time it i me. go to get it get one they're like sold out yeah and i don't want to get like the cheap copies oh so well, speaking of copies and i think these are sold out too but um so my my church had a um uh, a little they call it we called it an, an evangelism symposium uh last weekend and uh, one of the guys that came brought his uh his LSB hardcover five solas edition. So it has, it has the five solas printed on the spine and then it's mm -hmm. got the, the LSB seal, like kind of blind stamped into the, into the hardcover. Um, and with some nice kind of like tooling around the edge, like it, it looked really premium for being a hardback. Uh, I would, I would be happy to own one of those. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that was a great looking edition. I am a hard. Well, I, I use a cloth cover, hard, a cloth hardcover, uh, cloth overboard version of, yeah, of ESV right now. So I, I love the hardcover. I'm not a leather guy. I like a hardcover. So you can hold it with one hand. It doesn't flop. But the flop, it's so nice. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Man, like. But it's not really like readable. Uh, so uh, I have my I have my floppy leather Bible that I use uh, at church. And so when we stand up for for public reading, I do I can hold it up and granted it it, it flops. But what's kind of fun is because I have a two column Bible that I use. Uh, that's that's the Bible I take on Sunday. So I can hold it up like this and, and have the spine here. So the, the pages are are flopped over and I can read the leftmost column slightly open my hand to see the second column, then read the, the left column on the right page, close my hand a little more to read the right column. And uh, it's a fun little game. 
It's comfy. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It feels so I nice like in mine. Your hand. I also have I have it's Yours one of the too. creeds and confessions ones. Oh, so it's got all nice. the um, it's got like the 1689 in the back and Westminster and it's got all those. I, I gifted one of my pastors one of those for Christmas. It's good. It's I good. love the creeds, baby. So. Now, now you've got me pulling up the uh, the uh, 316 publishing website to see if the five solos editions back in uh, back in stock yet. <laughs> uh, while I'm researching Bibles. This is ooh. So is that your main ESV? Yeah, this is what's the, what's that? Is that like a gigantic seal on the front cover? Yes. Oh, sweet. Okay. It's got the creeds and confessions like logo. Yes. Yeah. So cool. So that's my main one. Oh, speaking, speaking of, uh, should I ever show you the, uh, um, the church history study Bible? No, it's, Ooh. it's a very pretty one. Look at that. I'm trying to tilt it so that you get the, uh, the texture in the cover. It's got like a gothic cathedral in there. Yeah. Yeah. Say a little bit of Westminster vibes. Try to get my hand out of the way. I support it. It's mm. so nice. And it's so, basically ah. a Ligonier thing, isn't it? Maybe not uh, officially, the, but this is Crossway, but it, it it's it's got Ligonier vibes. Yeah. Um, well, and it was uh I think did I I sent you the uh the contributors page, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're uh, um, what's his face, Mr. President of the college? Uh, I'm blanking on names tonight. My brain is tired. He he uh he podcasts. He has the five minutes in church history podcast. Stephen Nichols. Oh, yeah. There we go. Stephen Nichols. Yeah, I think he was the general editor of that of that study bible. Hmm. It's a good one. Yeah, looks, it looks pretty, at least. It it's definitely aesthetically. It is a uh, it is objectively beautiful. It is objectively beautiful. <laughs> uh, I've got chapter and verse on that. <laughs> yeah, objective beauty, man. That you know, yeah. it's, it's a it's thing. a it's a thing. It's difficult to argue for. Um, but it is it is real and it is a thing like you're saying and it's worth I arguing for yeah I just need to come up with better arguments for it I need to think it through a little bit more and try to understand it better than I do right now yeah so that's well, and I goals. think a, a lot of people confuse preference with something that's objective or subjective because if there wasn't objective beauty then you then there wouldn't be beauty mm -hmm. i don't know how else yeah. to say that better yeah. but something like beauty has to be true and there's so many things that objectively nobody would think is beautiful unless they're insane mm -hmm. and then i feel like an exception like proves the rule like what like brutalism in architecture yeah. like there's yeah. nothing at all beautiful about that but yet it was the thing it happened yeah. 
and and it shouldn't happen anymore. <laughs> Please no. But we, Although, we don't question it with with truth or with goodness. We we yeah. just say, oh yeah, I mean God is the one who determines what's true and what's good, um, or it's rooted in Him at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but beauty, it's like ah, you know, it's free for all. Everyone can just determine their own. It's it's like everybody's they can be absolutist on on truth and and morality, but then just a raging relativist when it comes to beauty. Yeah, yeah they'll say they'll that's... say by what standard about everything else, but but not not <laughs> in regards to beauty. Right. Well, and I would say that it's closest to morality in terms of arguing for objectivity, because yeah. morality isn't always black and white on face value. Mm-hmm. Like yes. sometimes you have to <laughs> really you think digging. over. Yeah. So, but you, but we don't deny objective morality. Right. But right. there, there's variantly, sometimes you're faced with the choice, you know, what's more in line yeah. with the yeah, moral even, choice. Even the pagans will, will admit to that if they don't have an ax to grind, if they're being right. honest, they will. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We've clearly had internet debates about this recently. <laughs> We've clearly discussed this recently. So, it, you know, if we're not careful, it could become another uh, uh, another inside joke of the show. <laughs> Cry- cryptic references that. to beauty. <laughs> all right. It yeah. Anytime something's all. beautiful, just be like, by what standard? Mm-hmm. I would standard. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter and verse, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter and verse. I'm going to start doing that when somebody <laughs> says something's beautiful. That'll be good. Yeah, I like it. That's that's comedy right there. It is. It's good comedy. So so Nick, you brought something to uh to our attention. Uh I I would love to uh I'd love to turn it over to you. And uh, give us a little a little primer about uh, um, how you've been radicalized by, <laughs> so by dirt, have, dirty Western literature. So I have been radicalized um, <laughs> by just Western I, I just, literature. Th- like th- to hear the, those words come out of your mouth. And yet you you looking the way that you look is the funniest <laughs> thing to me. <laughs> so there's this British organization. I think it's a government one. I It's kind of unclear, but it looks like it's a government organization called the Prevent Research Information and Communications Unit. And they have two main roles. And one of them is to prevent islamic terrorism and then the other one is kind of to deal with far right terrorist activity so those are their two main areas of attack um and there was recently a report done that was basically saying that they are very specific on the islamic threats and they basically ignore everything until someone's right there and mm-hmm. is basically on board with the far right ones. It's the opposite. They just, everybody's 
basically an extremist, uh, including us. We're not British, but um, we're even we worse. We're dirty in... Yankees. Yeah. So they had a, a reading list of historical books, and I don't have access to the list, but Douglas Murray at The Spectator does. And he wrote down some of the items on this list, and they include uh, works by C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, works of Shakespeare, uh, Beowulf, uh, Paradise Lost, Canterbury Tales. (laughs) Um, Essentially, the Western canon. (laughs) Oh, and Lee. 1984 is on the list. No. <laughs> Do I need a lawyer? <laughs> probably. So clearly like this is ridiculous because these are this is like just the classics of western That's literature. like high school reading lists back when high schools had reading lists, you know? Yeah, and and it's it's ridiculous ridiculous to to lump these in with far-right extremism i do see somewhat like you know there is kind of this viking neo-paganism that is popular amongst the far right so i can see yeah they'll read beowulf and tolkien probably you know they'll probably read those things but it's ignoring the intent especially of tolkien is grendel the labor party or something (laughs) Yeah, it's <laughs> it's ignoring the intent of the books. It's ignoring everything except that they just kind of vaguely have something to do with the West, it seems. Um, it's silly. Uh, but can I can I read a, a fun yes. paragraph I enjoyed from from Murray's article? Last weekend, the press reported on an analysis done by Prevent's Research Information and Communications Unit in 2019. This analysis looked into social media users described as actively patriotic and proud. Oh, no, anything but actively patriotic and proud. Anyhow, according to RICU, there were warning signs if people absorbed information or opinions from pro-Brexit and center-right commentators. These included Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Melanie Phillips, Rod Little, and yours truly. So everybody reading this column is at is at as much risk of being radicalized as some young Muslim set, settling down with a tape recording of Ayman al-Zawahiri or Osama bin Laden. And Reese Mogg becomes the equivalent of a finger-waving imam sending the young off to become martyrs in the cause of Allah. Reese Mogg, he's an MP. Like, yeah, we're not talking like, about like some, you know, like weird. I mean, he is kind of a, a weirdo, but I mean, he's, he's an, an awkward actual guy, member but... of parliament. That is so crazy. So uh, it, it, I think there's this, especially amongst the left now, there's this push, obviously, towards, you know, oh, we need to ignore the the old dead white men thing. Um if if the way that you're wanting to include others is by just completely making this out to be radical, mm-hmm. uh, I think what is going to end up happening probably is that people will 
read this and become normal or they'll read <laughs> radical things and become radical. So yeah. hope, let's hope that they read these things and become normal human beings. Um, and that, that'll be good. Uh, Cause CS Lewis, like w- what in CS Lewis is so like puts you on the, the train to white supremacy. I can't think of anything. Well, it, it made me want to put a lion on an old stone table and, you know, make it die. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, some well, of it's like they've dark. just, they've redefined what radical even is. And so their version of extreme far right is just being not whatever they are. And so then you're labeled. And if, because, yeah, reading something like CS, what? Because he calls truth, truth. Like, I don't know. That's probably very radicalizing because it just doesn't buy into the nonsense that they're trying to put out there. And so they'll see these books as dangerous, probably because people that think for, you know, have half a brain to use mm-hmm. will read these books. They might not like all of them, but. Mm-hmm they'll typically read i don't know i I find that fascinating that they would 1984 i can kind of understand i guess because i think i think of um well and it's it's mainly for the people who have said that they're reading it lately like it's not necessarily about the book itself but right in certain segments (laughs) yeah they're trying to find causality or something from reading the book (laughs) right yeah no, no, that's not to say that there aren't things in 1984 that sound eerily familiar, but they sound right. eerily familiar because it, things that are happening now is. sound like the precursor <laughs> of things that we well, have yeah, because it is. So, yeah. but, <laughs> but like the development of Newspeak, I could see that yeah. happening because there are trends happening now that would, if they weren't stopped, would lead to something like that. Uh, the same with like. Um, the fact that most of our information that we see anymore comes off the Internet, which could be changed by anybody at any time. Uh, and so while we don't have pneumatic tubes uh, called memory holes in government offices anymore, uh, instead, you could just, you know, change a few lines of code and uh, in, in uh, either eliminate articles online or sub- substantially change them. Uh, and then, and then the uh, the official like records become whatever. Yeah, become whatever uh, you say they are, or the dictionary, or or the Wikipedia. Yeah. Like you can just change what yeah. is what exists. Um, yeah, that's why I like to use the eighteen twenty eight Webster's dictionary. Yeah, for a lot of stuff because it's like locked in. Because now mm-hmm. they'll just go in and they'll change. So it's like you say, oh, that didn't mean that, and it's like, well, now it does. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. you can't change what was what was printed on paper back then. Right. Yeah. That's what paper wins. <laughs> yet again. Pencil so on I, paper wins. I have well. something <laughs> funny that it, actually this reminded me of it. I, I shared some of these with with you guys um before, but it's a it's a review, it's a couple reviews for a Nordic fairy tale book. That Sounds dangerous already. And yeah. thoroughly have enjoyed so far. I haven't read the whole book. I don't know. I'm waiting for this really dangerous material to <laughs> pop up. You're too late. It's too late. You've already been radicalized. 
radicalized. Yeah, I have I have some the of these uh, lit. these warnings for this Nordic fairy tale uh, book. It says use caution while reading these tales. There are two problems, and it goes on to say that um, all the good, beautiful people, especially the women, are blonde and red cheeked. <laughs> and all the evil, creepy beings are dark, black-haired, old, ugly, and mean. <laughs> it's a special niche of weirdness and worship all mixed up. It it reads deliberate hostility to the indigenous inhabitants of the North. <laughs> um, they say, uh, but apart from the blondes, the pictures are charming. But it says, use extreme caution and consideration, especially if reading aloud to children. It's like they've never seen Nordic people before. <laughs> yes. They're all blonde well, yeah. or the indigenous haired. people. Are they talking about the like the Finnish people or the Samer? I don't know how to say oh, that. Oh, yeah. I guess they are. But they had there. like brown hair. Like they weren't. I don't and know. They're not orcs. <laughs> the Nordic yeah. people are just as indigenous. Like yeah. it's not like we're talking about like a group that came so significantly later that it really right exactly group of people or not same group of people but the same standing there so this other the second review says the biggest issue with this book is that it's rooted in archaic misogynistic ideals um it says i would strongly advise against reading this to children particularly girls the female characters in the book are robbed of any autonomy no personality are merely placeholders and their appearance is written as the only thing of any value cue multiple fairy ro- fair rosy cheeks golden hair wait sweet- are they talking about marvel movies or <laughs> uh it says one of the first tales base of female suitability to be a wife on how well she cooks bread and knits and only this <laughs> So it's says, really you, important. Yeah, they tell you to proofread before reading to children, and it's not child friendly and dehumanize female characters for females. And I read that. I read that fairy tale where, I mean, if you've read fairy, first of all, nobody's character in a fairy tale is well developed. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think there's a single person in they're a fairy archetypes. tale that it's exactly they're they're not. <laughs> They're you're not, not gonna people. get a lot you're gonna get a lot of symbols yeah there are two but... bad brothers and one good one exactly but yeah, representation matters man that... nobody cares about how how like annoying some of the men are in these stories it's only like oh there's always a prince or whatever the mm-hmm. story is and it's like no there's actually bad dudes in there too or dumb guys like it's not just the helpless women but it was like the series of you know impossible tasks where they had to bake bread and show it to the dad but the one princess was actually a mouse so it's like (laughs) is she actually gonna be able to make bread and so she makes this bread with the help of her little mice helpers and and then she has to knit and so it's a cute funny story they make cheese bread no 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 (laughs) she made very high quality rich white bread oh no uh oh, so, back know, away! High class. <laughs> I I I would not trust a mouse to bake my bread. I'm just gonna yeah. go on record. There are some fairy tales that you're reading and you're like, mm, would would you have done that though? I don't think I would have done that. <laughs> I'd been using some critical thinking skills and uh, picking some other bread. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
These aren't black sesame seeds on this bread. But it's extremely <laughs> harmless. And it's so just it's maddening to me that these people can only see that in everything. Like they miss everything that the story is supposed to be. And it and insert their own little like, ah, it's white supremacy. It's misogynistic. It's radical. And those kind of like reading children's books from the past 10 years, they really are very, uh, in terms of characters and story, that's out. It's, you know, you say the fairy tales, the characters are pretty boring sometimes, or they're like symbols or something. Yeah. Contemporary, like children's literature, they have that covered as well they just make the story boring as well and <laughs> make it super preachy and it's always yeah like even earlier i said i like to have themes in stories i don't right. like it to be preachy i don't mm -hmm. like when it's just like yeah again we, we can learn from things that exception. aren't they don't have to be didactic in order for us to learn from them yeah right and and i think that like the new, like I just read my daughter a story is about like this girl who wants fairy. She wants fairies to come visit her garden. So she works really hard at cleaning up her garden and killing the bugs and everything. And then the fairies come to her at night and say, we actually really like a messy garden. And um, <laughs> so those fairies, uh, you never can anticipate what they want. <laughs> So the whole point of the, the story is like, oh, you know, keep the natural um, like land that you have in your yard. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, hopefully the kids reading this don't live mm -hmm. in neighborhoods with like homeowners associations, but <laughs> it's like, you know, let the grass grow, leave dead leaves everywhere. It's good for it's good for us. Um, mm. And I mean, that's fine. I, I live out in the country, and so we can do that. But that's yeah. it's not really a good thing all the time. Like, yeah. It, it's not an it's objective not a, good. Yeah, but they, they made it seem like it is. Uh, or, well, I guess these kids in the cities just aren't going to get any fairies. So yeah. they may just have fairies of another kind. <laughs> well, they will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting yeah I, I read um hansel and gretel to my my kids and that's kind well, of a weird i remember that's reading problematic <laughs> with extreme caution i'm very radical <laughs> <laughs> but I, I read it to them and i was fascinated i was just curious like you know like what would they take from it and they picked up on some themes there that i didn't have to explain to them I don't know how familiar you are, but, you know, they noticed the similarity between the stepmom and the witch mm -hmm. and just a lot of those themes that you don't have to preach like they can be in a story and you almost you pick it up better. I think I think that was like a point Tolkien made in one of maybe even in his on uh, fairy on stories. Fairies. Yeah. Just that you pick it up better through a story than just preaching at people. Yeah. Oh, Contemporary gone. stories are preaching at people with a thin veil of a story around it. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and, and, and bad morals underneath that they're trying to preach at you about too. Yeah, usually. <laughs> I mean, this one was the, the fairies and, you know, making yeah. your garden look wild. That it doesn't really That's matter. That's tame. But, but there are some that are much, much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, to go, go back to Tolkien, that's one of the beautiful things about his his work, not just the Lord, Lord of the Rings, but really all the, the histories of Middle Earth as well, at least as far as I've read. <laughs> but uh, um, they really are so good at at capturing big themes that are really important um, and immoral, uh, dare say even Christian, uh, and yet being told in a place that is not a necessarily Christian place, you know, it, it is in a, in a secondary world um, and, and, and being told in a lot of different ways from a lot of different perspectives. Um, and yet is crystal clear. Um, and that's just not something you get from contemporary fiction, um, especially not contemporary Christian fiction, <laughs> which is, honestly almost an oxymoron uh unless it's you know those amish romance stories or something <laughs> but again no, no big themes there either <laughs> <laughs> great audiobooks too we should make that the reading challenge next year is just read 40 just read amish a- romance novels <laughs> that'd be incredible so many to choose from But yeah, that's what, and I think that's, you know, when I I was thinking about these articles, that's maybe the most dangerous thing about these old books is that they dare to say something important and say it well, uh, in a way that's digestible but not stuffing it down your throat. Like they are so effective at passing along ideas. Um, like Beowulf is like legitimate, amazing fiction. So let let alone some of the other the themes and elements of the story, uh, just from a, from a historical standpoint, it is a very important work of art uh, as far as uh, the development of of Western culture goes. Uh, and you can see um, ways that there was a prior story that had been added to uh, as Europe was was more and more Christianized and Christian elements added to this story that was very much a pagan story before it, it became Christianized. It's just a very important piece of culture. And to say that that would would radicalize somebody and make them dangerous is basically the uh, the perspective of an enemy. Yeah. And one of the other things with Beowulf is that you have this bravery in um in the face of something that like is beowulf is very strong mm-hmm. but he's dealing with monsters that are pretty strong as well mm-hmm. and he's defeating them spoiler yeah and um, a dragon but, i mean <laughs> yeah dragon i mean you've had like hundreds of years centuries to read these so yeah I feel bad no spoilers people. here um <laughs> and he's and he's also not like He's not a completely morally upright guy either because like he has his own personal struggles that in some way lead to his downfall, too. So he he is a complex character. But it shows that you can you can fight in some ways. I mean, the, like 1984 is another example. Mm-hmm. There's there's this idea that like if if everybody is against you, 
then you're nothing. You're never going to win. And these, you know, th- these aren't evidence, you know, because they're fiction. They're right. fictional stories. But they do show an individual or a small group overcoming a pretty strong enemy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the contemporary woke, I guess, is probably the best term. Like yeah. that uh, ideology, the the entire basis for it, it's not it, it's not on any kind of firm rational foundation or anything out there. It, I mean, it, it is what it says. It, everything's about, it's about power. And mm-hmm. if they can force power onto other people, which is what they always talk about other people doing. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of a projection of their own yeah, way colonizers of colonizers and oppressors. <laughs> and yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the way to do that is to flip it. I think there's that Ibram Kendi thing, like the only remedy for past uh, discrimination is present and future discrimination or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's these show that you can fight those things and that those, those uh, irrational power, um, those irrational powers are, weaker than they make themselves out to be and i think that's what makes these seem radicalizing mm-hmm. so i think too is that a lot of these stories point to more like a not all of them but like a transcendent you know purpose where the modern woke is very inward focused very navel gazy subjective extremely subjective yeah Yeah. and then when you have that absolute you know so basically this is less so on the aesthetic side but more on the moral and definitely on the truth front these are uh they're definitely relativists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even though they'll oppression is wrong no matter what, except <laughs> when they get except to do it, but our they use a different fine. name. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cause there's nothing stopping some, some shift to come eventually. And instead of, you know, to take Lord of the Rings, for example, Lord of the Rings, you know, they're considering it radicalizing now. But there's nothing to say that within, you know, 10 years, some new cultural meme comes across and all of a sudden uh, Lord of the Rings is actually aspirational now. And, and there are notes, maybe not the, the, the bigger themes, but there there some part of culture may find parts of it beneficial. And so it'll be taken off of, you know, the proverbial banned bookshelf and, and be be publicly blessed again. There's nothing to stop that from happening because they do this is coming from a relativistic point of view uh we find these things despicable now but a day may come when they're not despicable anymore <laughs> uh, because they never were actually evil in the first place so let's hope that day comes yeah so hope everybody but... wakes up to this stupid stuff and yeah gets real well and it's 
have two thoughts that are related and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go with, but <laughs> do the second one first. The second, okay. The second <laughs> one, the second one is, um, people just, we have such a hard time reading things that are uncomfortable, you know, that contain things that don't align with our current. And that's, that's true for, you know, me as well. Um, but like you read these older books and sometimes they do contain racism or what we would consider mm-hmm. racism. Um, they're okay with social norms of the day that we would find appalling. Um, and, and what's interesting, instead of being able to understand that that's a reflection of the thought of the time, um, it's no, you got to throw it all out. You can't even read that. It's dangerous because somehow that's going to, you know, seep into your mind and now you're going to be okay with all these things, which may or may not actually be wrong. Some of them, obviously, yes. Others just things we just don't agree with. One of the reasons why I know I uh, like to read things that I do agree with is because I sometimes feel a little bit more alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I I will see, you know, you watch the news or you read the news and that's from a perspective that I usually disagree with. Or I will, um, you know, watch a TV show like a Marvel movie or something or or something like that. And it's going to be something where I disagree with it. And so when I'm going to go read, I like to go back in time <laughs> to the things <laughs> that uh, that I have some a lot more similarities to. Right. Yes, there are obviously things that I disagree with uh, and, and mm-hmm. things that probably I would agree more with the contemporary culture on. But um, but it I think that I get the the contemporary space plenty in in terms of entertainment and news media and so i I, you know for reading i want to make up for it by going to things that i will probably agree with or at least somewhat and some people will call that escapism but i don't think that's right at least not entirely right because even though you are partially yeah, yeah, you're you're escaping our times, but it's not it's not for a reprieve, even though it may it may get it may grant some reprieve. But but you're actually um, arming yourself, um, encouraging yourself or or just remembering that there is a past. You know, that's one of the most uh, one of the aspects of 1984 that's really stuck out to me the most in my reading so far is that um in that in that book the people with the real power are the people that can change the past or erase the past um and so to have the benefit of having so many records of the past sit on our bookshelf uh we really should we really should read them because i think the more that we are in touch with the past the better we're able to tackle the issues of our time as well because there's nothing new under the sun uh, after all um to quote ecclesiastes um right yeah i doubted myself yes. there for a second yeah it is um and so you know uh people who don't read the past are are doomed to repeat it um 
and we can do that through historical novels that that are from a, a certain period of time. You know, I think philosophy is helpful for that. Uh, reading actual history, historical accounts are good for that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we should do that more often. I'll say this quickly because I know Maddie had another point, but um, a few years ago, like 10 years ago, wow. I went through and read a ton of dystopian novels. So I read 1984. I read we, I read Anthem by Ayn Rand. Did you do Brave read, New World? Uh, yes. Read Brave New World, so uh, which good. is also on this list of uh, radicalizing. Uh, so I read all of these, these novels. There was another one, um, this perfect day, I think it was called. I read mm. several of them. And one of the themes that I noticed is that kind of what you were saying, historic history was the thing that brought people out. Mm -hmm. And in several of them, it's a museum or, or a historical oh. artifact is the thing that the, the, you know, the, protagonist the person who escapes it's a museum where they learn about what happened before and as I bet that made you feel good in in the museum <laughs> world uh one of the well makes me feel good somewhat but it also <laughs> is <laughs> kind of terrifying because the people who have those that power are also in charge of most of the museums. Museums mm -hmm. are a very, very, very left-wing well. uh, industry, uh, yeah. but but really all industries are at this point. Um, but it kind of does seem like um, Christians and conservatives have exited uh, those institutions that do handle the past um and i think that's not a good thing and that's why we should buy some books and read them <laughs> mm -hmm. so and retake our institutions yeah we can, sure oh no that sounds that yeah, sounds too radical <laughs> that's so ones. radical yeah that is radical <laughs> uh you know what's interesting so when you mentioned this perfect day uh, that's I googled it because it sounded familiar. That's a novel by Ira Levin, um, mm -hmm. who famously wrote Rosemary's Baby. Yes, yeah, I did not it, know that. It's uh, it's basically 1984 with uh, I think it has more explicit uh sexual content and stuff. It's I read it in in a couple days. Is it, a, it was, is it a pulp uh, novel? I don't, it's more so than the others. More pulpy than 1984, but not necessarily pulp for yeah. pulp's sake. No, I mean, I, I think people respect him as a novelist, but it it wasn't, I mean, it was kind of re rehashing some of the other ones. We was good. That was an earlier one. That was a Russian one from like hmm. 1917 or something. Wow. Uh, I might be exaggerating. It might be like the 20s. 20s but yeah um early 20s though 20 to 21 somewhere in there okay yeah a dangerous era well now that we've discussed your second point maddie 
Well, you kind of discussed my first point a little bit too, just the removal of history, not reading old books, um, because it has, because it contains those things that we don't like. That's why it's kind of related. Um, but just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, like linking, I, what I even love about reading novels, it doesn't even have to be a historic, obviously historical works are a lot more illuminating on this, but I even love reading novels because it reflects the thoughts of that person in that time. So whether yeah. it's truly reflective of the age or not, uh, some of it's like in, you know, assumed that we've kind of lost so that I'm thankful for like annotated books sometimes where I'm like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what this is referring to at all. Um, but I I love reading those older books and thinking, wow, like they thought, <clears throat> you know, you just kind of get in their head a bit more um, about old things. And, and even I was thinking while it's new, uh, Taliesin, what I really appreciated is that he did that. Like he really thought, deeply you can tell when you read the story about what what it was like for them and he obviously did his homework and and read a lot of very old things and um tried to put that into his story as best as he could as somebody who lives in the you know 20th century but um or 21st century late 20th still alive yeah Yeah, still alive (laughs) um but I, I do love that, like reading, it does really ground you, I think, and and knowing, you know, where people come from, where we come from, where the where ideas come from. I think that's so important. Um, and I when I was talking about not wanting to read things that contain stuff we disagree with, it's not that you have to just read constantly from other points of view. I think that's helpful to a point. But there's so many books today that I think we are just shy of, even as Christian evangelical, like even Monte Cristo. It, it it's not a it's not a book I would want my children to read. Mm-hmm. It it assumes because it you know it's France for a large part of it. It it just is okay with the idea of having mistresses all the time. Like that's mm-hmm. just you know it's, it's there. It deals with those kinds of themes. It deals with drug use. And all that kind of stuff that was going on, and, I, and not a negative. It's not looked on negatively because it wasn't then. It's was just a fact know? of life, right? They were experimenting with those types of things, and that's in the book. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of people today that that would say you can't read that because it contains that. Just like someone from the other side of the aisle would say you can't read it because you know he has a black slave. Mm-hmm. Um, in the story or or whatever it is and and I think that we need to learn how to just uh, toughen up a little bit well you know it's you know thinking about uh you mentioning that, that he had a slave you know uh I, I'm I'm getting personally I'm getting tired of of uh that argument because uh I I think a great example of kind of the hypocrisy of our current moment is uh um, has to do with Uncle Tom's Cabin, which uh, which was burned, you know, back when it was first published by uh, by slave owners because it humanized a black man and, and made him a hero. Uh, and now it, it's basically being uh, 
unofficially banned by by the woke left because it doesn't go far enough uh, in their estimation. And so, you know, we, we have this pendulum swinging at all times and, and burning books is the natural uh, the natural result from both of those perspectives. And uh, and it's just not the right it's not the right move. Um, we can't we can't uh, ex post facto uh, condemn these uh, these writers of the past because they don't meet with the uh, enlightened uh, morals uh, of our day to day, you know. In fact, I think they're more instructive because they come from that era, uh, because if it hadn't been for events that happened back then, events that are happening now wouldn't happen the way that they're happening because, you know, we live in a stream of history and events from the past have effect on what is developed in the future. Yeah. Uh, in terms of somebody being a moderate on Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, AI gave that as a suggestion for uh victorian novel <laughs> so <laughs> i got that one a few times wow wow yeah so good i think you know, we still need to find an excuse to read jane Eyre this year though okay i mean it, it really did it probably showed up <clears throat> if i did a chart it would probably be the number one Mm. one that showed up on that there were times where it only had two novels and it was it was always one of them oh yeah i did this like 10 10 or 15 times <laughs> this was a scientific <laughs> say, experiment i need more because it, it would do like one or two and it's like no i want more give me a list more. don't describe them <laughs> well so. you know it, it's pretty funny because like with that bot having access to the internet and everything and yet it, it can be so uh ill-informed about the significance of the passage of time. <laughs> it really was. Gold star. Thank you. <laughs> well, any uh, any final powerful thoughts on on these themes? I know we've we've really uh, un unleashed some radical thinking in this hour, but uh is there is there any more any more gleanings from from this dangerous literature that that you want to pass on? Read it more. Yeah, that's what I did with that. that with that fairy tale book. As soon as I read those reviews, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm buying it then." I'm, I'm going to read this even harder. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about like the uh, the people that are going like crazy over the possibility that Protestants could read Thomas Aquinas and still yeah. remain Protestant and actually get something useful from what he wrote. It can't happen. You're just asking to swim the Tiber, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what? I've never even read Aquinas. And now I'm going to read Aquinas so hard. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the you, encouragement. You just, you're going to spend years <laughs> reading that. I'm going to read nothing but that Aquinas one's for the rest of my Mon life. Count of Monte Cristo is like a short story compared to, <laughs> compared compared to, the, to Summa. the Summa Theologica. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. I'm ready. I'm good to go. <laughs> good. <laughs> well, thank you as as always for uh, for an enlightening and and uh, energetic conversation. The these episodes are always fun. So I I I, I for one enjoyed the uh, the miscellaneous fun that we've had this evening. So thank you all very much. Um, do check out the show notes, whether uh, 
in your podcatcher or on YouTube because uh, these videos of, of these podcast recordings are going up on YouTube as well. Uh, we have a link to our le- link tree in there where you can find our social media outlets. Uh, you can also um, on Facebook and I believe it's on Twitter as well. Find the uh, the infographic for our reading challenge, um, which uh, we ourselves are well on the way for. And I've seen some updates online of of various listeners uh, crossing off their lists as well. So it just feels it feels good, man, to see people uh, excited about reading books together. And it's just uh, it's great. It's wonderful. So uh, continue, continue doing so. We love it. Uh, send us feedback uh, as you as you like. Our contact points are in the show notes. And uh, I think that's it. May, uh, may Monway keep you in the one. And peace out. Okay, I'm really glad we're getting this on video because <laughs> what's going on? Because Nick is looking like a Max Headroom video right now. <laughs> what happened there? All right. <laughs> I guess my camera's just like I'm done. So that's fine. That was uh, that was straight up Max Headroom. Well, you can tell when it's done because I'm just gonna go like this when it's going on. Uh, well we don't know because you're too busy twitching that we don't know. <laughs> uh, what, what was in that that diet caffeine free soda uh, yeah. you were drinking diet notice, right notice i appreciate i i uh, appropriated your culture by saying soda oh uh, here it's usually I'm, coke point- Ugh, don't even get me started anyway but we definitely don't say pop here Well, you should, but it's okay.